0: you want to try to tell the same jokes over and over again
1: yes do you know me at all (laughs) the same jokes get funnier as you tell them over and over
0: that's true it's true no i agree with you there
1: (laughs) scientifically proven.
0: And my humor is like carpet bombing. (laughs) It's just just offensive and repetitive.
1: It's true. That's that's how I like to roll. (laughs) Okay, it's on.
0: It's on. Like like Donkey Kong.
1: Like Donkey Kong. (laughs) Do the kids still say that nowadays?
0: Uh, No, they don't. (laughs) They don't. Damn it. All right.
1: Welcome to the Duke and Duchess Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. We are here today uh, in episode 14. We are talking about chapters 20 through 25 of Patrick Rothfuss's excellent novel, A Wise Man's Fear. That's right. Um, so next week, just looking ahead, we are going to go over chapters 26 through 33.
0: Good to note. I should write that down for my own purposes.
1: You should. Um, So our spoiler policy is that, um, so I have read these books. Uh, My name's Liz. I'm the Duchess. And my co-host Chad here has not read the books. So we are going to be um, trying to keep him as spoiler-free as possible for the rest of this novel. And um, so we'll be covering everything up through the current chapters that we're talking about, but not going to be talking about anything later in the book or either of the novellas. Uh, We are just going to Right now, up to chapter twenty-five.
0: What's the name of the other novella?
1: Isn't it the Lightning Tree?
0: Sounds sounds good. I don't I don't know. I know Slow regarded Silent Things, but I didn't know the name of the other one.
1: Well, I feel like there was a sh- it was a short story or something, but I should be better educated on.
0: Yeah, we'll figure that. That
1: out. I really don't know.
0: By the by, the time we cover it, we'll know. It's true. So, and we will cover it because we're not going to go this far and not. Also, I feel like I
1: have to Google it now.
0: <laughs> go, go right ahead. We're not going to go this far and not cover the novellas. We'll definitely recover the, uh, cover the slow regard of silent things. I don't know when we'll cover it. We may not roll right into it, but we'll definitely cover it.
1: Indeedy. All
0: right, so... I'm going to go ahead and get started with a uh, the chapter summaries real quick. If you're okay, yeah, with go that. for it. Okay, so we started chapter twenty, and chapter twenty is where Quoth does something really stupid.
1: Yes, he does, like a
0: big dumbass. Yep. And just to kind of put this in perspective, how we end, how we ended our last uh, section of chapters was with Denna. You know, playing cards with the guys at um, at the Aeolian, convincing them to tell them all about magic, and then she goes through this whole thing about how she's a grifter, and then proceeds to <laughs> ask, "Quoth, to find a ring that Ambrose had taken from her," and immediately, without a second thought, we begin chapter twenty with Ambrose waiting outside of the inn, outside, you know, the window where ambrose is to break in like he hasn't spent any time thinking about this nope they're just gonna do it yep so which is interesting to me because we've had this comment before where he says most of the best things i've ever done were done without you know any second thought i just sort of did them and i wonder if he would put that or this into that mix of events
1: no, this is this is pretty stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, this I, is. I think it has the Dena factor in there.
0: I feel like the denifactor is is uh, very very thick in this, and I have lots of opinions about that that we'll talk about during prediction yes. time.
1: I love opinions.
0: <laughs> so, th- so really, what's interesting about this? So Quoth breaks into Ambrose's room. Ambrose manages to figure it out because he's got some sort of award on his windows, or he knows somebody's in his room, and Ambrose then struggles to get out of it, doesn't really get out of it unscathed, he manages to fall down, bust his knees open, and then it wraps up with him back at Anchors and Will and Sims, with Will telling him, you realize you're being an idiot over this girl, right? So that's kind of the quick chapter summary
1: a couple of funny things here as well. And again, we're watching this friendship kind of develop. And um, I just like the little digs. He, you know, the little digs he gets in um, as far as like Will having the most feminine handwriting yeah. (laughs) and their little willow twitch signal. I love that. Um, So Quoth and, and Will and Sim develop this scheme to try and break in and get Dennis ring back.
0: It seems like it's straight out of like, it's straight out of like a sitcom. Like it's like the, what they've come up with as a way to trick Ambrose is so basic. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like I feel like it would be a plot on like an episode of the pink Panther or something just like.
1: Yeah. I could, I could see the gang at three's company yeah, <laughs> doing something <laughs> like this. You know, that. let's get Mr. Roper out of here.
0: Yeah. I know. <laughs> We'll write him a letter.
1: <laughs> it, it, it seems
0: so silly.
1: So, um of course, the thing that jumped out at me the, as being the most significant and has to do with a chapter title, which the chapter title is The Fickle Wind, and um, how the wind both saves Kvothe at the beginning of the, the caper, you know, by sort of almost magically pushing him back up, and then in the end is responsible for th- basically throwing him off the roof. You know, as just as he's about to jump out of the window safely, the wind gusts and uh, the window slams on him and throws him to the ground. So that's pretty uh, It's pretty on the nose as far as... Uh, yeah. You know, Quoth has been searching for the name of the wind, and now the wind is playing a very important part in this escapade.
0: Yeah, and the chapter opens up talking about. I mean, I I completely missed the chapter title because I always do because I never read chapter titles. I don't know how many times we've you've pointed out the significance of those things, and I just never pay attention. Well, that to way it. you still
1: need me. So, <laughs> all
0: right, then I'll.
1: It's symbiotic. I'll move on.
0: <laughs> Won't think twice about it then. But the chapter starts with him talking about the wind was strong that evening, you know, so it really starts out highlighting the wind. And you're right, it's not really subtle in the writing. I mean, not not even close to subtle in the writing. The wind is clearly a factor in all the stuff that's going on. But what's curious about it to me is why... It seems like the wind is almost like a sentient being with its own desires and wishes in this chapter. But if that's the case, then what the wind seems to want to happen is for Quoth to get into that room and then to also get, you know, get injured in the process. Like, so it it. Wanted, it's like it wants him to do something stupid and get caught.
1: Well, you know, I don't think that I would go as far as to say that I think that that the, the wind is a sentient being. In this, I mean, I think it's characterized a bit as as such, but I don't. I wouldn't go so far as to say that that's actually what I think Patrick Rothfuss is trying to say. That in this universe, the elements have their own desires, but more that Quoth is starting to think of them that way, mm. um, in his search for the wind. You know, we that even though they may not have sentience and their own thoughts and desires, they can still be known and understood in a certain way, and that's kind of what naming is all about, from my understanding.
0: Okay, I'll go with that because yeah, I definitely didn't literally think that the wind was sentient in that regard, but it just it seems strange that, like you said, it was in one hand pushing him. Towards being successful in this venture, and then later doing everything it could to stop him from getting out scot free.
1: Right. So it's fickle.
0: I guess, I guess that that there would be what it is.
1: <laughs> well, and you you know, if you think about the nature of the wind, I think that would certainly be a characteristic. Um, it it goes back and forth. You you know, it's fickle. So again, if Quilth is is working slowly towards understanding the wind in a way that is complete enough that he can actually name it, then understanding those characteristics would be part of it. Mm, yeah. So just interesting.
0: Now that's an, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't really thought about it as though it was more the perception that Quoth was gaining as he begins to slowly understand these things better. So no, I think that's a good perspective.
1: And then, you know, in terms of some of the character development that happens this chapter <laughs> It caught my attention how Quoth again, he falls off a roof. He's fairly badly injured, but is more worried about his shirt yeah. getting messed up than... He's only got four shirts. He's only got four shirts, you know? So just that, like, his sort of looming poverty that's just always hanging over him, and it's so... It comes to almost define a part of his character, you know? I just think that's interesting, you know? He just fell off a roof this close to getting arrested or expelled or who knows what and he's like dang it i ripped my shirt <laughs> Yeah. you know but they get back to his room and sim he talks sim through the process of stitching him up and i found that conversation with um simon and, and will interesting and in that we learned that they've had their own run-ins with ambrose and ambrose yeah. this is not just ambrose versus Quoth. apparently he's a dick to a lot of people
0: yeah absolutely so like
1: he he apparently messed around with some of Simmons materials and almost blinded him he makes racist slurs all the time you know they have their own reasons for not liking him it's not just about Quoth, and I I like that I like that they're not just being painted as oh Quoth needs extra people on this so he just brings in these characters and they have their own reasons for not liking him that's consistent with their character
0: yeah, agreed. No, it was it was well done. And Will and Sims are are playing a bigger part so far in these in these chapters here in the beginning of the Wise Man's Sphere. I mean, not that they were insignificant in the last book, but they're just there's they're more involved in what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's good because I think the friendship that we have there is an important one and it's enjoyable to read. Yeah. All right. So, chapter 21 or do we have Yeah. Okay,
1: this one is called Peacework.
0: Thank you, thank you. So here, quoth, you know, with his busted knees, he can't hide in his room. He's gotta, he's gotta go make them dollar bills. So he jumps
1: right back in there,
0: right back into the fishery, so, um, so that he can uh, go make some money. When he gets there, he uh, Kilvin wants to see him, and also Basil tells him that that young girl is still looking for him. Then Kilvan uh, goes off and quizzes Quoth saying, are you happy with what you've been making? Because this is all really simple stuff. And Quoth says, well no, but I'm trying to make money. And then Quoth, or I'm sorry, Kilvin kind of exhorts him to do you know, more advanced things and try some different stuff. And quote says, oh, okay, that's fine. And then, and then passes out from heat Promptly exhaustion. Promptly faints. Promptly faints. Conveniently smacking his knees on the way down, which could have helped to cover up that injury. But anyway, so he wakes up in the Medica with Mola looking over him. And Mola immediately knows uh, what's been going on, confronts him about it. And then Will and Sim show up. And they kind of go back and forth about it, and that's sort of the 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 overall arc of that chapter.
1: And it includes one of my favorite conversations in either book. And you're nodding and smiling because you know which you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> probably. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, where Will says, "Is asinine the right word?" He's talking about <laughs> what <when> Quoth <Kvothe> did, <laughs> and then Quoth says, "Yeah," and yeah, he that's goes. Right. I chose it because it sounds like ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a particularly fun, particularly fun exchange. I am
1: just going to laugh for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one, yeah. <laughs> and then Sim puts the moves on Mola because that's, you know...
0: Gets himself a hot date.
1: A- apparently, and he... uh he um, also, I liked how when they came in, he sort of right away spilled the beans. Oh, like, yeah, he didn't. Like, like, oh, yeah. needed to go and get a ring for his lady love. And um, up until then, they'd been trying to play cool. But, but so Mola is sort of brought into the fold a little bit, not only through her kind of liking these three, um, you know, she's not, you can tell that she's not very close with them, but she likes them and she really hates Ambrose. Yeah. You know, and it seems like Ambrose has probably worked his way through most of the women at the university mm-hmm. and probably dicked over all of them at some point.
0: Yeah. And this is, I think, the the most we've gotten out of Mola so far. I mean, there was that exchange where she meets Ari, mm-hmm. where we got a little bit of her personality, but we we get a little bit more of a chance to mm-hmm. learn about about her, which is good because we don't have that many female characters with depth.
1: Right. And we we learn that she and Fela were close yeah. So it's, you know, that, yeah, it's kind of another layer of this character as well.
0: Yeah. The other thing I noticed in this um, in this chapter, and it's kind of a quick throwaway thing, but once more, if we didn't catch it back in The Name of the Wind, Kilvin uses the word coat.
1: Oh, I didn't catch that.
0: Yeah. He says when he comes in and he drops, you know, he's trying to blow a glass bowl or a sphere for a um, lamp. Right. And when he drops it and it, it doesn't work out, he says, kissed Crayley in coat. Of course, oh. I'm sure the pronunciation's wrong. Right. Um, you know, and it seems like, you know, it could be something like, you know, horror, crime and disaster or something. You know, Because right. we think coat means disaster, but we don't really know. Um, so that caught that in there as well.
1: I feel like that's been like low-key confirmed.
0: Really, I don't okay. know. I don't yeah. know if it
1: came from Patrick Rothfuss himself, but I feel like I was poking around and that's almost sort of confirmed that that's what that means,
0: which would make perfect sense.
1: It might have been a dream I had. I don't know.
0: Well, I'll consider that canon. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, 22? Yes. Okay. 22. So, 22 starts out with going to um, Elksa Dolls class. And it's. J- I'll come back to it. I had I had a point, but I'll come back to it. Okay. So talks about Elksadal's class and they, they go on about slippage and just how incredibly dangerous that can be for you. Uh, and then at the end, uh, Elksadal asks how, how asks Quoth how it's going with Eladin, Uh, and he finds out that, you know, it's not going well. So they have a little bit of exchange for that. Quoth goes to the Aeolian to find Denna, uh, but he ends up talking with master, or excuse me, with, um, Stanchin and Threpp instead. Then he asks he asks Threpp some questions about Master Ash. Uh, and then what happens after that is that Quothley is to go back. Uh, and then he starts getting super hot and flush while he's on the road. And he gets so hot that he has to jump into the river. And apparently it's like springtime. So the the water's super, super cold. Just to stop the pain from the heat that he's experiencing. So that's chapter 22.
1: So all kinds of crazy stuff.
0: Yeah. Crazy stuff is starting to happen.
1: So let's talk about first about um, adept sympathy and and the whole concept of slippage and all that kind of stuff. And um, why, like, why is that in there? And I thought it was an interesting way of reminding the reader that sympathists can't do just anything. Yeah. You know, there are limits and that, the more um, powerful you become with sympathy, the higher the risks are. And so we have the, you know, both kind of waxing on about adept sympathy and how it's more difficult. And there are are all these different calculations you have to be able to memorize. And it's, it's there, you know, it just gives us a different range of the idea of what a sympathist can do. So the idea of ripping one card in a deck in half without ripping any of the others or lighting candles that you can't see in another room and that you've never seen before. Um, But that also you can't do just anything.
0: Yeah. And I think it further establishes the cost. Right. You know, for, for doing this, I feel like it, and magic SIM systems have never been that critical to me. Like, you know, really learning the finer points of them. I just sort of go with it. And as long as it's internally consistent, then I don't really, you know, I don't really care. You know, if they, If he starts, you know, shooting endless supplies of fireballs, I'm going to be like, hey, wait a minute. But, you know, outside of that, it doesn't really bother me that much. So I say that because I feel like it comes around in a later chapter, but I could be wrong. I could be misunderstanding the magic system because I don't put a lot of effort into it. So I do feel like it has a minor part in one of the later chapters. I forget if it's 24 or 25, but anyway... But I also feel like that's something that, you know, he's laying the groundwork there because that's going to become more important down the road.
1: Right. A- absolutely. And and every now and then he just takes a minute to kind of like touch base with what the magic system is and, and how it works. Yeah. And then he has a conversation with Minette where Minette kind of reinforces that, oh, yeah, I saw a guy, you know, because both cause yeah. it seems like, takes these warnings. as like, oh, my God. Whatever, you know, Manette's like, no, I saw a dude get his own arm ripped off, you know, Mm trying to play a prank. So you're reminded that, you know, this is a very dangerous undertaking, you know, just in their daily lives.
0: There's also a little bit more of a confirmation in this chapter that, you know, Quoth from a sympathy standpoint is stronger than everybody else at the university. Yes. And he, you know, once again, they have Fenton who is not able to really... You know, even when Quoth is, you know, um, kind of under the weather, having experienced all these weird things going on, he's still able to handle Fenton pretty, pretty easily. And Elksadal says, we're going to have to start having people team up against you. Right. um, So you don't become complacent. Then they, like I said, they have a conversation about what's going on with Elodin. And it was interesting to me that Quoth is like, he's like, um, so so what, how many names do you know?
1: (laughs) that was so funny come on bro
0: you know <laughs> well that's a little it's not real polite to ask you know <laughs> he says i know two and he's like only two mm-hmm. you know you know and what and what he means is that you know he he feels like the masters should know you know a bunch of names right. and and we get i get the impression that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that probably would have been the case. But it's not the case now.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's a good point. And um, Dahl even says to him, you know, the the idea of this etiquette behind it's not polite to ask what name someone knows is sort of a throwback to those times when, our you know, Arcanists were likely to fight each other and you mm-hmm. wouldn't want another Arcanist to know your... Your weaknesses and your strengths.
0: You don't want to know, you know, what kind of cards you put in your deck, right? You know,
1: and I think the the whole discussion about sympathy versus the power of naming is interesting because it seems like at this point, Quoth has written off naming, like, and I find the concept of the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset really interesting, and it both in this shows a fixed mindset. So, like, people can have he either does or. Often. Right. So if you've got a fixed mindset, you um, you don't believe that you believe that your intelligence is fixed. You can't really get any smarter. And your focus is all about then proving how smart you are. And something that comes as a challenge to you, you're not going to press through it.
0: Yeah. And when you when you come up against something that doesn't work for you, you just either will dismiss it as being something that's not important or or you'll simply say, well, you know, and I just wasn't cut out for that, whatever and move on rather than making an attempt to power through and learn something. And that and that's spelled out in quotes over and over again, particularly around naming.
1: Right, and it so speaks to his character that his biggest limit is his rigidity in this. You know, he so and we get a demonstration in this scene about the power of knowing a name. You know, doll, a doll is able to do things that shock both So both wants to say, well, I don't get really the point of naming because I could just start a fire with sympathy or sympathy can do. It's more practical. And Doll's like, watch me put my hand into this bed of coals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like there's no, you, if you know the name of something, you have complete and total mastery over it. Mm-hmm. And you can do things. You're only limited by your imagination is what I understand. And um, it's just so interesting to see this character who's so all about gaining power, but in this, he's so willing to kind of brush that off. So it'll be interesting to see if he, you know, learns to adopt that growth mindset or, you know, if that, at what is going to need to happen for this character to kind of break that wall.
0: Yeah, cause he, because even though we we believe he's getting closer, he really still hasn't. He still hasn't come around. He's still very closed off to it.
1: Right. Yeah. He's very, very closed minded about naming.
0: Yeah. And so then he goes to the um, to the Aeolian, excuse me, uh, finds Stanchion and Threp. And then what was interesting to me about this is that uh, he has a conversation with Threp. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, I got a friend who is in this circumstance. It seems weird to me. Does this seem weird to you? Am I overthinking it? You know, and he kind of goes through and explains the situation around Dena and Master Ash. Uh, you know, she one, she's not super talented, or she's talented, but she doesn't really know anything, so it doesn't necessarily make sense that he would seek her out from a music standpoint right now. But two, it's really weird. He, he won't tell her name. He's super secretive, and and Threep just sort of you know confirms. Is like, yeah, that's that's weird. He's like, I've heard of people being secretive and 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 kind of. Than with the intention of springing a musician on their friends and their, and their, you know, they're, they're, you know, springing Dena out at a party and saying, Look at this new musician. She's great. And everyone's like, Oh, where'd you get her? You stole her from, you know, as though it's sort of a, you know, just a bragging right thing. And while they're going back and forth and talking about all this, I'm just like, Oh, you sweet summer child. Like, you, you, you guys are not seeing the big picture here, you know, and, and there's no reason for Threpp to see the big picture here, because obviously this is the only thing he knows or he's heard of, but it's just so funny to me that Threpp's talking about it as though, you know, completely from his perspective, as though it's all about what you can show off at a dinner party and look at, you know, these great musicians I have, whereas Master Ash's perspective on this is coming from, from nowhere even close to that.
1: That we know of.
0: Agreed. Well, I, I feel very confident in saying that Master Ash's interest in Dena has very little to do with her musical prowess, other than it's a way for him to use her publicly, but that's not really what it's about. He's not trying to show off in front of his friends.
1: I I mean... If you're wrong, that would be like the biggest red herring ever. <laughs> and also kind of a slap in the face. It would be like a slap. It would be like getting slapped with a red herring. Like, like, we- <laughs> just take a fish and smack me in my face with this. So I hope you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I, hope I Master hope. Ash does turn out to be something other than just a flaky patron.
0: Um, oh, goodness.
1: So chapter 23 is called principles in it the boys basically try to figure out what's wrong with quoth because because as soon as quoth recovers from his his episode of 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 a hot flash he a little bit later is beset with chills Mm -hmm. he and will and simon meet in his room they talk about what it could be they end up realizing that it is someone practicing malfeasance against him and he has to go and then kind of take steps to ensure his safety.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is the chapter where I took the most notes, mm-hmm. um, almost a full page of notes, which for me, it was a, it's a lot of damn notes. Um, and, and I think it's because I, I sort of realized just as they realized oh, wait, this is malfeasance, you know? So when he got stabbed in the arm, I was like, uh, okay, you know, I see what's going on here. Right. And my first thought was the same thought that they had, which is, it's Ambrose. Right. He picked up blood off of one of the tiles, and that's what's going on. But they have a very convincing set of arguments for why it's not Ambrose.
1: Right. And it certainly would not make sense.
0: I I agree. It would not make sense. Particularly because if Ambrose was able to do that, then he would have been able to douse for him and figure out where he was and would have been able to very quickly prove that it was, that it was Quoth. Right. Which would have been absolutely the 100% the thing he would have wanted to do. Right. So which is interesting to me because that means one of two things, and this is very important to the prediction that I'm going to make later. It means that either Ambrose is not smart enough to know to look for blood, which I don't believe, or it's more likely that there wasn't any, which means to me that somebody else collected it before he got there. Mm
1: Mm-hmm we'll see we'll see we'll see so sim and will come over they co- or they they're at anchors watching him play kwotho all of a sudden is um starts feeling really unwell they get him up to his room they're talking and for me um it was just so nice to see these characters like come together and support him at the same time ribbing him you know here he's being Attacked by malfeasance and and they're saying, I guess I'll have to watch over you like the colicky infant you are.
0: And you know what cropped up for me in this in this chapter was mm-hmm. I, I'm really thinking about this and I'm thinking these might be the best friends that anybody's ever had. Like if you think about what they've done for him mm-hmm. and I'm curious where Quoth has been able to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Like, where has he done the same thing for them?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there something I've forgotten about?
1: No, I don't know in terms of, like, grand gestures. But outside of Simmons babysitting him for that day, mm-hmm. you know, and then this, them being willing to watch over him, you know, however, when when were Will and Sim ever afraid for their lives or being attacked and possibly going to lose their lives? No, no, and you, agreed. Can, yeah. you can bet that Quoth would have been there doing whatever he could to protect them. Yeah, I know? mean,
0: I think we see from the beginning, we see him sort of putting impositions on them. You know, very early on, he asks Will to get him root, you know, and lies to him to do it. We don't really see it go the other way. But I agree with you that there's not really necessarily been a circumstance where that would be needed. The other part of it, too, is, you know, we're getting this narrative from, quotes perspective. He wouldn't—he may just not necessarily—you know, he may have done all kinds of things for, for them— to reciprocate, but just doesn 't talk about it because it doesn 't come up in the plot you know
1: well, and again, you know we have we have Simmons kind of throwing away this comment, oh, remember when he did this to you and that to you, so there have been other things going on now, yeah. and again, other than um, a couple of pretty um striking instances where where someone is trying to kill Quoth and I love the line in here. Oh, thank God, I thought I had some kind of poisoning, but someone's just trying to kill me.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, this is a this is a guy who people try to kill a lot. You know, his friends step in and, and save him. I don't see it at all as being a, a an unbalanced relationship though. Mm. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and we're I'm jumping it a little bit ahead into something I was going to talk about in the next chapter, but there's a line at the end of the next chapter where Kvoth says They were the best sorts of friends, the sort that everyone hopes for, but no one deserves, least of all me. Yeah. You know, and I see, especially in this part of this book, the theme of the power of relationships comes up. And, you know, let's go ahead and start talking about the next chapter if you're ready. Yeah, that's fine.
0: um, I'm going to read through my notes and make sure there's nothing I need to come back for, but I think we're good.
1: So the next chapter is called Clink's. And Kvothe is, after he is offered to be watched over like a colicky infant, he's going to go run an errand first to make sure that nobody um, takes his blood, and Ori helps him with that. And um, we learned some some things about Ori, and there's some good, some good character development there as well. Um, Plot-wise, that's what happens.
0: Yeah, this was the only chapter title that I paid any attention to, mm-hmm. and it was... Worth it, right? <laughs> to- totally worth totally it. Totally
1: worth it. So, right at the beginning, so at the end of the last chapter, um, Ari sees him and he looks a mess, he's covered in blood, he's shirtless. And she says, You look like one of the Day because apparently they had tattoos that resembled blood on them.
0: Yeah, and I caught that. I wrote that name down. Have we seen that name to this point?
1: I feel like we have the siradai were the the most powerful most important members of the Amir. Okay. And so I'm I'm pretty sure it's been mentioned I couldn't tell you where. Okay. You know, Ori says at this point you look like an Amir, you know, you're one of the siradai and Kvothe just kind of says, "How do you know about the Syrade?"
0: Yeah.
1: And and she bolts, but he is able to find her right away, which is not usually what happens he's always afraid of her running because she'll be gone for two span he won't be able to find her for weeks so and i i the very beginning of this chapter Quoth says that she he finds her and she's crying and he says that it's the worst thing that he's been through in all the terrible things that have happened in the last few days so yeah i thought that was um You know, just got me thinking about the relationships in this book and how powerful they are. So he's been being attacked by malfeasance, stabbed in the bicep, burned, frozen. But seeing Ori, knowing that he hurt her is is the worst thing for him.
0: Yeah, it also, it caused me, and this is not nearly as relevant as what you just said, but it, it struck me, you know, we've talked about their little game that they play when they see each other. But I didn't realize the degree to which the ritual was very, very important for Ari. Like, I, I didn't realize just how important that was to her. Um, you know, I struck... I, I kind of took it as just sort of something that they did, not something that Quoth had worked very hard to learn about her in order to keep her around so that he could talk to her. So it it just makes me have to think back on all of that all those phrases and things and and realize there's more importance there from a character and an emotional standpoint not necessarily from a plot standpoint than i realized
1: right and and i love the development that we see and the growth in auri in this chapter because she says you know he finds her and she says didn't run so far this time. Yeah. So she is fighting against her demons and her nature because of her relationship with Quoth. Yeah. And so that just got me thinking about this, this theme of the power of relationships. And if you contrast Kvothe's circumstances, which are pretty dire you know but you contrast that with when he was in dire circumstances in Tarbian and all the times he's been homeless and even at the beginning of his time at the university the difference that having these friends makes in his ability to cope um is really striking
0: yeah and we've talked multiple times about how Ari tends to bring out the best in Quoth but i don't think we've ever had a perspective where we could say that Quoth is bringing something positive out, Nori. Right, and we get to see this for the first time.
1: Right, and I think you know his his friendships with Will and Simon. Also, you see that, and I was thinking too about how Quoth is all about manipulation, and but these relationships, these three relationships with his three closest friends, are the ones that he doesn't manipulate. He's as real with them as he is with anybody. And he's not trying to get anything out of them or trying to maneuver them in any way. And those are the relationships that bring out the best in him. And those are the people that he goes to for support. And Mm -hmm. you know, you contrast that with his relationship with Denna, which I see as being all about manipulation. You know, every move he makes with her is about how do I not scare her? How do I get more time with her how do I get her to think the best of me it's all kind of calculated he's not really genuine with her um, at least at this point in their relationship
0: yeah so I just think
1: that's an interesting contrast true like Den is not around during this whole escapade but I would posit that if she was he wouldn't go to her for help or even probably tell her what was going on
0: no, you no, know, you're probably right. Uh, and so this is called clinks, and you want to get into why it's called clinks.
1: So at at the end of the chapter, um, we find out first that Ori knows a lot more than we realized. Because as soon as Quoth says, "I need somewhere to put my blood," well, she says, "Most people keep it on the inside, yeah, of you course. know." <laughs> But she knows right what he's trying to do. So he is trying to spread his blood and hair out as much as he can in case anyone tries to douse for him. She takes him to a place under the university where there are bottles kind of there's there's fresh water running through. They put his hair and blood into some bottles and send it off.
0: Yeah. And I did not realize like I was very slow on the uptake when reading this as to what was going on, you know, and why. You know, the bottles, she's like, it's important that you use four and blah, blah, you know, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, I just, I didn't quite see it. And I don't, I don't remember if I eventually got it on the first read through or if I or if it was the second before I picked up what was going on. But one of the things that I noticed on the, on my reread was that it's pretty clear to me that Ari's done this before. Like, because, you know, not just that she's like, oh, I have an idea, but she's she's done this before because she says she's thought this through. Right. You know, and says you need exactly four bottles statistically to make sure that one of them is always in motion. Like so,
1: That is a really good point. And, you know, the way I read it was just that she was a student at the university. So she knows. But now that you say that, it almost seems like she had this place prepared.
0: Yeah. She's like for
1: just such an instance.
0: Yeah. She's like, I mean, as soon as he says it. She's like, you need to go to Clink's.
1: Right. And this is not a place that she has ever taken him before. No, no, yeah. It's not on the scenic tour.
0: Exactly. And she says it's a private place. And 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 the fact that she's had to think it through to think of, okay, how many bottles do you, like, she's had to think about this.
1: Right. That is a, I can't believe I never picked up on that. That was very astute of you. Yeah, I think you might be Right.
0: Yeah, I think she's she's definitely had to do this before. Now, whether whether she had to do it or whether it was something going on in her head—I mean, we don't know enough about Ari to to know why that would be.
1: Right, and I'm just I'm turning to the page, and um, if you are reading, uh, gosh, I don't know what people's different versions yeah. are, but in my version, it's page one hundred and ninety-seven. She takes him down, and she there's so there's water running. There are two bottles bobbing in the on the surface of this this pool of moving water mm-hmm. and then she's got a sack hanging there with other bottles inside um, and she knows how long they they tend to bob around
0: mm-hmm. so
1: it does seem like she's got this place prepared where she can yeah oh my gosh
0: well it, it makes you wonder so whether this happened or whether she was afraid it would happen mm-hmm. who knows but if she's a former student who cracked It seems to me that, I mean, it's hard to say because, because Quoth wandered off and nobody seemed to care, but it seems to me that they would most likely have wanted to find her. Right. And it seems like Elidin had been looking for her before as well. Right. So whether people were actually hunting for her and trying to find her and trying to get her out or whether she is simply paranoid about that could be explain that uh, she's
1: very interesting. She
0: clearly does not want to be found and she's clearly terrified of people above ground because of the way she behaves. So, so perhaps it's not as strange as we're making it out to be, but, but it's definitely something she's done before.
1: Interesting. So chapter 25 is called wrongful apprehension. And, um, basically in this chapter, Quoth is, um, looking for the means to make a gram which is a protective amulet which Mm -hmm. would you know keep keep him safe and um he he goes around and is not successful in finding one of the first couple of places he looks so he has to get fella on board to help him hunt through the archives basically to try and find this that's sort of in a nutshell
0: well and then um let's see well, we missed the part also where he goes to meet Sleet.
1: Yeah, that's...
0: Or did you say it and I just brain farted?
1: I didn't say it, talk about Sleet, but oh, okay. that was just sort of gotcha. in a nutshell what the chapter's about. Yeah, he starts off by going to... Well, I, I believe he goes to Master Kilvin first. Yep. Is like, hey, I need a gram. And Kelvin's like, yeah, no, we're not going to make you one. <laughs> and you can't have the instructions to make one yet. So this is one of those moments that's so frustrating because you want him to just be able to be like, someone's practicing malfeasance against me, but he kind of can't. And well, maybe he could, I don't know, but everything is just sort of complicated at this point. Yeah. But again, this is just sort of cool's nature is to distrust authority and to try and want to do things his own way on his own terms. So he goes and finds someone who's someone who's good at getting things This sort of unsavory character named Sleet.
0: He's Red from Shawshank.
1: Yes, that's exactly (laughs) who he is. Um, He was a character who was suspended from the Achanum for wrongful apprehension, which is exactly what Quoth is trying Trying to 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 do do. right now. Um, But he's good at getting things. And so they're going back and forth. They're kind of um, haggling a little bit. Um, Sleet finds out that he has got a debt already to Devi. And he's like, nope.
0: Yeah, loses his mind.
1: Nope, I am out. No, thank you. So it's interesting when like you have a scene like that where a character comes on and there's buildup and then they're just gone.
0: You're yep. like, well,
1: what was that all about? Yeah, but really, it's kind of about like
0: it's kind of about Debbie.
1: Kind of about Debbie, yeah. because you know he's heard of her reputation, but all of her interactions with him have been so kind of cute and innocuous and you know she means business and everything Yeah, but you know we're reminded that Devi is known and feared by some very bad people.
0: Demon Devi.
1: Demon Devi. So Sleet is like nope not messing with her and you're an idiot if you've messed with her yeah you know and we know that Kvothe has messed with her because we know that Quoth has some information that he has sort of dangled in front of her that she wants more than anything. Well,
0: and we also know that she got very, very intense about that whole question yes. of how to get into the archives.
1: Yes, offered to sleep with him, and was, which he turned down.
0: Yeah, and he, she was quite angry. I I didn't get the impression that she was angry at Quoth per se. Right more about the situation, but she was definitely not happy.
1: Right. So with that little bit of information is put out there and Quoth has no choice but to go and try and find the um, the instructions for making a gram on his own. Well,
0: one, one other thing. So he also buys a crossbow from Sleet. Right. Now, again, in a situation where money is so tight and he has a six-talent debt to Devi, he is willing to spend three-and-a-half talents on a crossbow. So we don't really know yet what he has up his sleeve, but that is part of some... That's a plan. There's a, There's The gears are turning in his brain, and he's coming up with some sort of a plan for which he needs a crossbow.
1: Yes, so that will be interesting... Yeah, we don't... To find out.
0: Not enough clues there, at least not that I could tell, to really work out what that would be. But, you know, he he gives him something that's essentially worth three and a half talents. And you sort of have to think, if he, like, he was... He must have really not wanted to part with that. Right. Because it, he, he's had that for a while. Or at least, I think he has. I guess it's conceivable he could have just recently stolen it on his way there. But I got the impression that those were things he had been carrying around for quite a while Mm -hmm. and if he didn't want to sell them earlier then he must really want this crossbow Mm -hmm. you know so it must be a critical thing
1: probably so in either way we don't know what the crossbow is about but he's got that but he does not have the means to make a gram and he's still being attacked by mouth you know someone
0: you know what just crossed my mind about the crossbow Sorry to keep going back to this, but he made a reference earlier that if pe- if whoever was doing this, if they got the impression that the malfeasance part wasn't working, that they would might resort to more direct physical means. And so it could simply be that he's looking to have something on him for personal protection. I, I tend to not think that's it because they have highlighted... In what I thought was a weird sort of throwaway line, they have highlighted now twice that it's illegal to carry crossbows out in the open. So I tend to think that's not what it is, but I do want to put that out there. It could could simply be that he's trying to just protect himself.
1: Yep. Could be.
0: You know. I know you know.
1: I'm actually trying to remember, honestly. Uh, I haven't read ahead too much.
0: Okay, well, let's not talk about that unless we inadvertently spoil something.
1: Right, exactly. So, are we ready to move on? Yeah, I'm this sorry, point? that's
0: where he's going in to meet with with Fela, correct?
1: Yes, and that's pretty much the end of the chapter. He gets on Fela, um, and they talk about how they're going to look for the gram. It's not going to be easy because um, one of the things that the Scrivs do is scour... Incoming books for any mentions of of things that should not be in the stacks and and take them to the masters. But um, as we've discovered before, the archives are a mess, and so probably there's one in there somewhere. Yeah. Um. So what I thought was interesting about this part were his comments about Simmons and how you know yeah. he offers to bring them in and fellows like oh you know Will's a screw but Simmons he's going to be useless you know and and both gets you know he jumps to Simmons. You know, defense, and he says, "Well, do you know him?" And he says, "You know, um, Simon is happy, and that makes most people think that he's stupid, but he's not." Yeah. And so, I always like references to this theme of identity and the layers to people Mm -hmm. and who people seem and then who they really are. Yeah. And. um,
0: Well, Sim strikes me as a guy who's not always the quickest on the uptake, or sometimes he doesn't see the obvious things. Like when Quoth gets injured falling off the roof and his first thought is, well, we got to get this guy to the Medica. You know, like I'm sure that before they actually got to the Medica, Sim would have said, oh, wait a minute. No, this is a terrible idea. But, you know, he just doesn't always, you know, he's not always the quickest to see things or see the obvious thing. But again, Sims, Sim's also has, you know, a great deal of knowledge about a lot of other things. He's not a dummy.
1: Right. I think like what Quoth says is, He's nice. He's gentle, which people see as weak. And he's happy, which people see as stupid. So Sim, you know, strikes me as someone who is not terribly um, street smart. Mm, Because he hasn't had to be. And he doesn't always... His approach is usually to just be forthright and honest. Yeah, Um, And uh, that comes off as being kind of um, doofy. But he's... You know, he's got layers and he's got depth to him. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's got a, a strong current of loyalty that I see really rubbing off on Quoth um in their interactions. So that is we have come to the end yeah. of our section.
0: We have, yeah, we absolutely so have. So lay
1: yeah. your lay your predictions on me.
0: Um well, so I have I have two predictions. Um one is very simply what I said earlier about Ari, that she's had to she's found the need at some point to hide her blood and used the clink's method before. Don't really know what that means, but, but that's definitely number one, uh, number two. And I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get a little JFK here. I'm going to get a little magic bullet theory, uh, up and up in here. So, so bear with me here because this, this might require a little talking through, but, the whole sort of mystery in these chapters to me is very is very simply who is the person doing the malfeasance right and it seems to me like the story is trying to set you up for two possible outcomes, one which they set up and then quickly dismiss, and then there which is Ambrose, and that they're very it's very much trying to lead you towards Devi right you know that seems very clear that that's kind of what. Is going on here with that dynamic? Now, I'm the guy who said multiple times in the last book that Devi having quotes blood is gonna is gonna backfire yes. on him. So I've I've said that multiple times. So you know, so it wouldn't be uh, you know, so you would think that I would go down the road of saying, well, it's Devi, right? But I don't think it is don't think it's debbie yeah so bear with me here as i lay out a handful of facts
1: yeah please
0: because i had to go back through Mm -hmm. and um well i'll put the i'll I'll give you the the big idea the big idea is i think it's denna Mm,
1: tell me why you think that
0: okay And, and maybe not denna herself but i think she's ultimately the one who's behind this so You have to kind of go back into the last uh, episode and some of those chapters to kind of hang with this. But when Ambrose, when she's out with Ambrose, she's out kind of very publicly and Quoth finds her when she laughs very loudly Mm -hmm. in public. Right. So now this is weak, but it seems to me she may have very purposefully been trying to draw attention Okay. To say, hey, I'm with Ambrose. Right. Um, Which we questioned whether or not she knew about Quoth's relationship with Ambrose. Well, it seems to me that in chapter 18 last week, she verified that she did. Because she talks about Quoth calling up the name of the wind in the courtyard in front of the Aeolian. So... If she, you know, now that would be scuttlebutt. Mm -hmm. That would definitely be scuttlebutt. So her just hanging around, she would have picked up on that. But it seems highly unlikely to me that she would not have also known that Ambrose was the target of his anger.
1: That is an interesting point.
0: So it seems to me that she knows about Quoth and Ambrose. Mm -hmm. Now, when she shows up in chapter 18, um, she shows up at the table with Will and Sims and, and they're going to play corners. They start getting into talking and when she starts asking them about magic, she there are two things that she bribes them with. Mm-hmm. One is girls, which is Sims weakness, and two is scutton. I think that's how you say it. Right. Which is Will's weakness, mm-hmm. and she knows that ahead of time. Has she spent enough time with these knuckleheads to know that?
1: That is another good point.
0: So she did research, or somebody tipped her off one of, one of the two, to know precisely what to bribe these two with. Now she doesn't really need to bribe Quoth, right? But she needs. And she
1: to is c- a grifter. You know, we know she can read people, but it definitely does seem more than just a passing. And, you know, this time through, honestly, I wondered at the entire encounter that happened in that chapter. So she runs over and, um, oh, pretend like I'm late and you're irritated. And they look over and there's a, you know, fat, balding man kind of looking apologetically at them. But I even wondered if that was a setup.
0: Well, I think it like, 100% did she is. go up
1: to this guy and say, oh, pretend that, you know, you're irritated that I'm leaving, you know? Yeah, yeah. It really does seem like it was almost entirely set up.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the two girls and the gay guy, I think that that she kind of, you know, that she was pointing out these two girls have been looking for you. It seems like they're with this guy, mm-hmm. but really the guys in the quote, like, I think that was all set up too.
1: it's entirely possible.
0: Um, so this is where you know maybe I'm getting a little too conspiracy theory about it but um but that's kind of where I'm going with this so now, in that conversation will uh when so when quoth shows her about how to bind things with the wine, hmm will says, and that's why you never wanna let a sympathist get a hold of your blood mm-hmm mm. okay.
1: Why would she be attacking him though? I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead.
0: Well, the weakness in my theory is the why. Right. I'm not going to lie about it. But right. I'm, but there's but there's also a very a weakness in why would Devi want to do it? And I'll and I'll get to that. Right. All right. So um, so at this same point in time is when she starts kind of writing quote writing on the table. Right. And she said and she's constantly sort of doodling on the table. All the while she's explaining to them, Have you heard about a magic where somebody writes something Mm -hmm. and even if the other person can't write it, Mm -hmm. it comes true. And they're like, No, no, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. But all but she not only continues to do it, but she gets so wrapped up into it that she almost kinda loses her composure there for a second. Mm -hmm. And Quoth has to kind of snap her out of it. Hey, you okay? Right. Which is a rare sort of thing for her. We have wondered whether or not she has a knack. We clearly know she's intelligent. Right. And I think when she was writing that she was actually doing some sort of hex charm, performing something there that would have uh, influenced the boys at the table. Then um, let's see. So she to do to do. So she shows a little bit later that she's a grifter. She kind of reveals all right. that that to, to Quoth. Um, and then all the while that's going on, she you know keeps constantly kind of fidgeting with her ring. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know. I, I I went back and reread chapters eighteen and nineteen. I haven't gone back and reread all the Dennis stuff to know if she was constantly somebody who fidgets with her ring. Right. Like he may have laid that groundwork for that way back. And and I just don't know that. Right. So it may not be unusual for her to be doing that, but it seemed to me like she was trying to get him to recognize it and to notice it, Um, which of course he does. And then this is, you know, and then she immediately when he, she asks him and he was just acting like such a dummy that whole, <laughs> so like I feel like she, her sketching out things with her fingers was like sort of like we, just we weakening their mental reserves, right? Or resistance. And then she puts that thing in his head and he's like oh I know exactly what I'll do. I'm a thief. And then pretty much immediately goes and puts this weak ass plan into action. Now Quoth, who, let's remind you, snuck into the admissions and sat there for hours listening to everybody who lived on rooftops, you know, in Tarbien, who is a sneaky, cagey bastard. It seems highly suspicious to me that that's the plan he would put together. Maybe he was just in a moment of stupidity, Mm -hmm. but I tend to think there's something going on there. And so they execute it. It it does not work. Part of what was important about that too is that it kind of showed that Ambrose is not a dummy. He not only warded his windows, but he had kind of a fail safe as well. And he's clearly paranoid about people breaking in or finding things out about him. You know, he may not be a genius at a lot of things, but he's very he cares a great deal about his personal protection. And everybody seems to know about blood, so it seems highly illogical to me that Quoth would have fallen off, gotten hit by all these clay tiles, cut his elbow open, and that one of the first things Ambrose would have done wouldn't have been try to look for blood. Mm -hmm. But he didn't find it, because if he found it, he would have been able to douse for Quoth and verify beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's who it was. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he wasn't tells me that somebody else got there before he was able to do it. Now it was nighttime. So maybe he simply couldn't find it, but it was definitely gone by morning. And so somebody else got his blood to me. That is one of the critical pieces because what you kind of got two theories here. You got, is it some third party or is it Devi? Now the advantage to Devi is we know Devi already has his blood, Right. So we know that. But the downside to it is why would Debbie do it? Now there's ostensibly there's a motive there, but the problem with that motive is that if that's what she wanted was to to figure out the archive, then why is she waiting like three weeks to randomly pull this malfeasance thing?
1: Well yeah, and that doesn't get her any closer to her goal because not, not at all. She's yeah. you know
0: and, and and not only that, but he still owes her, he hasn't defaulted on his loan. Like, there's no reason for her to do it. Right. And again, it doesn't gain her anything, and the timing is weird. On the other hand, the timing, as it relates to the blood coming from the accident, is perfect. Because it's right. it's the next morning right. that he collapses. So it seems to me like Debbie is 100% a red herring. So it may not necessarily be... That Denna is the one pulling the strings. Like it wouldn't surprise me if this is all kind of a Master Ash orchestrated thing. Mm-hmm. But Denna is one hundred percent instrumental in it, and um, and it's somehow it's either Ma- it's either Dena or Master Ash or somebody tied into that who's doing the Malfeasance.
1: Yeah. Cool. Whew! Ooh, that was a lot of thinking you did. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of talking I did. How about that?
1: <laughs> a lot of work for the old noodle.
0: Right? Yeah. Over there. So yeah. Not not Debbie at all. Definitely not Debbie at all.
1: Whew. Goodness. Do you feel unburdened? I do. I feel like Good. I could I could see it.
0: I feel like Twelve ounces lighter.
1: You do. You look twelve ounces lighter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else for for? No. For this?
1: I think we've talked about this book
0: section. We have talked about this book section. We, we have, have. We have some good, uh, some really good listener interactions. However, that uh, quite a quite a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, that I want to go over. So I want to talk about some of that stuff.
1: And again, I was thinking too. We should just kind of more explain to people that. At this point in our recording, what you are hearing is something that we recorded three weeks ago. Yeah. We have recorded three weeks in advance this whole time because we knew we had a vacation coming up at some point. And so while we are on vacation, we will keep releasing episodes. By the end of August, we will be um, uh, caught up with ourselves. And so we will be better able to respond right away to, um, listener comments. Yeah, and such. It
0: won't take you a month to, to hear your name pop up. So the first one we have is from Kingles on Twitter. That is Kingles t- at Kingles 10. So at K I N G L E S 10, uh, it could be King less. Hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure there. Um, but they say, stumbled across your podcast and loving it. Keep up the good work. And that's somebody who just found us uh, just a cool. couple, couple days ago. That's awesome. Or at least just interacted with us on Twitter for the first time a couple of days ago. So that's good. And then also somebody we talked about last week, um, which is Theo GB, the OGB on Twitter. And this was one, that was a person you had a, a, a good bit of interaction with going back and forth on Twitter about... Uh, kids and how and bad british accents and you you guys talked for a little bit about that but um oh yeah you yeah mm-hmm. he also said on twitter that um the actor who plays uncle vernon is a gentleman by the name of richard griffiths who unfortunately passed away
1: oh and i yeah. thought he would be perfect for master him
0: he would be perfect for master him as soon as that episode was over um I I immediately remembered who Uncle Vernon was, right? And I and I was like, oh yeah, that's that would be perfect. He would have
1: been perfect.
0: Yeah, Uncle Vernon was as independent as a hog on ice. He was a big ha- big shot over the slaughterhouse. Anyway, um, he also I
1: did not. I did not understand that.
0: Almost no one will, but the comment. person who gets it is going to love it. <laughs> He also agrees with me that Alan Tudyk is a oh, better Ellenden.
1: Are we really doing this?
0: It's done. <sighs> we don't have to make a big deal about it. Okay. <laughs> um, he confirmed that a span is eleven days, and that you can find that on page sixteen of the Name of the Wind. So, so that's where it's confirmed.
1: Yes, we just went right back at that, and I mean, I, we can agree to disagree. I love Alan Tudyk. I really do. I adore him. Um, I think David Tennant would be a better. Um, Eladin, but you and I can agree to disagree.
0: There are some things we can agree to disagree on. So Theo is is probably the hero of the week here, I would say, though. He also left us our very first comment on our website.
1: Oh, hey, I missed it. Uh,
0: um, I am not going to read it because it's it's quite long mm-hmm. um but it's quite good and quite well written um so I would think you know you would awesome. want you would want to go in and read it Yeah, so.
1: I will definitely go read that and um we have um a couple new things coming up on the website um soon Okay. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Don't we have a um review going up?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That
1: we never put up and
0: Yeah, but at this point... And a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, at this point, those things should both be up there by now, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, and do you want to talk very briefly about your review?
1: Um, So we've been doing a little bit of, um, we're branching out a little bit. Um, Lately, we've been talking about what else is Liz reading, but I thought I would start adding some book reviews to the um, website. So um, being posted very soon will be, um, the first one I wrote was on Ernest Klein's Ready Player One, mm-hmm. which is a, a really fantastic book. Um I enjoyed the heck out of it. Um I read it recently. I've read it a couple of times recently actually. Um so I might have to get you get get you sucked into it at one point.
0: Yeah, we may we're probably going to have to have some conversation here and and we'll kind of plant this seed in people's minds now about what we're going to read. Excuse me, about what we're going to read next. That's definitely one that's on the docket. I think that's that's one that we
1: You would like it. It's a fun, it's a fast read. Um it it's a nice little um like kind of near future sci-fi. Yeah. Escapade.
0: Somebody also suggested the um the Lies of Locke Lamora, <gasps> which is one oh, that I
1: love that
0: book. Yeah, that that one the is that part of the Gentleman Bastards is it that's all? That's the Gentleman okay, Bastards yeah, series. Okay. Um, but that's another one that's not done, not right?
1: Not finished. But, you know, it's been Scott Lynch seems to be writing books more quickly than
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin. Not that I'm complaining. I am not in that camp of complaining. <laughs> the book will come out when it comes out, people. Um, I'd rather have it take a long time and be good than it have it be crappy. Okay. Just putting that out there for the record.
0: The, um, so that's one that I've kind of, Liza Lock Moore is one that I've kind of wanted to do. I'm a little well, bit you hesitant. You know how
1: I feel about that book. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. And it's a really nice, uh, there are a lot of similarities in mm-hmm. some of the characters and stuff. Gotcha. Um,
0: yeah, I'm a little hesitant to do another series that's not completed, but we'll, we'll have to see. But anyway, the point of all this is to to kind of open the door we're willing to kind of look at suggestions for other things that we may want to yes, do down the road. Please
1: send suggestions and then maybe we can like on the website, put a survey or, or something where people can vote Yeah, and we'll see.
0: Yeah. We're definitely not, I mean, not everything that anybody suggests will we, I mean, there may be things that
1: I'll read anything.
0: Yeah. Liz will read. Anything.
1: <laughs> I have read some <laughs> shitty, shitty books. You guys you know I have, two. I have two it takes a lot for me to not finish a book
0: yeah i can't say that i sometimes <laughs>
1: just hate read them because they're so bad i just want to revel in how bad they are
0: you're you're also a completist like you you're if you start something you want to I finish have to it
1: finish it yeah, yeah. i will read the whole trilogy even if it's god awful <laughs> i have to finish it
0: oh goodness um So another interaction, and I'm going to butcher this name, um, but Travis Dundas, I believe, and that is at Travis Dundas, Travis underscore Dundas, so T-R-A-V-I-S underscore D-U-N-D-A-S on Twitter, Um, and his comment is that he's glad that we're going right into Wise Man's Fear, because what he says, and he's accurate, is that everybody and their mother's going to be doing Game of Thrones Season 7, which is true. It's true. It's true.
1: It's a spectacular show, though. So we'll be watching...
0: It, yeah, we will be absolutely. Uh another interaction we had was from uh Devin Desaud at Devin Desaud. That's D E V A N D E S A D E and uh she says love the King Killer Chronicle Chronicles. Keep it up. Good stuff. And then um do we want to talk about Hamel Snap?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't believe I put that out there.
0: <laughs> hey, you're brave and you're bold and you do funny cute stuff.
1: So my sisters and I, for some time, will send each other what we will call snaps, which is basically us using a Snapchat filter and singing Hamilton songs to each other. And I can't describe why I find it so hilarious, but I just do. <laughs> It's
0: pretty funny. It's
1: pretty. Well, if you're not familiar with the Snapchat app, they have these filters that sometimes contain voice changers. So it makes your voice all high and squeaky like a chipmunk. And it's just really funny when you rap in a chipmunk voice. I don't, I never get tired of it. It's hilarious. <laughs> and so, um,
0: with a, a awesome, for all, yeah.
1: awesome podcast, um, Caster Quest, um, challenged us to a, um, to participate in the ham for all, um which is you know donating to um to a, uh, a organization that supports immigrants it's a
0: pr- uh, Prizeo, yeah
1: p r i z e o so you know it's um you donate to this organization and then you sing your favorite post a video of yourself singing your favorite hamilton song, mm-hmm. and so we participated in that and i i did i I put a snap out there for all the world to see.
0: So it's no longer just you and your sisters.
1: It's no longer just me and my sisters. Uh, That was pretty (laughs) funny. But but a great challenge. And definitely if you're a um, a Hamilton fan or just anyone, I would um, recommend donating to that. It's a good cause.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And um, the last one is from uh, Izzy Kennedy, who just today asked if we would be willing to Disclose a little bit more about ourselves and our background.
1: Oh yeah. Um do we have time to yeah, do that? Yeah,
0: we we yeah, we got time. We're not we're not we're not at the two hour mark yet.
1: Awesome. So um so yeah, uh Chad and I met in college and um that was in the nineties. That was back when like you didn't have cell phones and if you wanted to talk to someone you had to write a message on their message board outside of their dorm room. Anybody yeah, yeah anybody feel me on that or maybe (laughs) someone out there can relate um so we met uh through mutual friends and um eventually you know he was the most badass of our guy friends i was the most badass of our female friends so eventually it was just gonna happen um and uh we um so he was a sociology major i was a psychology major after yeah. college though, we both got into jobs that had nothing to do with either no. of
0: those. But I went to college to be an English major.
1: You did? I yeah. did. I did not know
0: that. What?
1: I did not know that.
0: I went to I went to college with the intention of being an English major.
1: I was going to be a French major.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I I definitely knew that. Yeah. And um and as soon as I met the uh the faculty of the English department, I said I have to change majors.
1: Like, no. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you.
0: I mean it it took about it took about 3 weeks for me to be like, yeah, that's not going to happen.
1: <laughs> so funny. Uh, um so outside of college, you know, we um both got into jobs that had nothing to do with either of our majors. No. Um Chad, being the silver tongued devil that he is, went into sales and um I went into Bookkeeping because of my love of spreadsheets. <laughs> although the, um, for the past twelve years I've been home with kids, um, with our kids, um, I did spend eight years pregnant, basically. Yeah, that's about Right. That's... <laughs> um, pregnant or breastfeeding for eight years straight. I did that, and um, although recently I am back, um, back in school now that our our kids are all in school. And um, with the goal of at least getting my master's in psychology, um, hopefully going on to to a doctorate as well. But we'll see. I may be 50 by the time that happens. Thankfully, we're not in a rush. Um, But that's kind of where we are. Uh, Career. um, That's our sort of career and educational background. Um, Both of us, of course, just just loved reading um, very into fantasy and sci fi, although Funny story, Chad was not as into all of that stuff as I thought he was initially when we were dating. <laughs> um, at w- At one point early in our marriage, or no, it wasn't even, it was like, f- we've been, been married maybe five years hmm. when I made like an obscure Star Wars joke
0: oh, that's and right. you didn't
1: get it. And I we had to question everything for a little bit. <laughs> 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 and I just remember you looking at me and saying, you're a lot bigger nerd than I thought. <laughs> and I looked at you and said, you're not as big a nerd as I thought. <laughs> we worked it out though.
0: We did, yeah. It, I think I got brandished as a much bigger nerd because I was really into Dungeons and & Dragons. and
1: That's true. And when
0: I say really into it, I mean, I was really into it.
1: He was amazing. I one was time, really one time we tried to play a two person game of Dungeons and Dragons, but it was a disaster, <laughs> utter disaster, because I am the most indecisive person on the planet. Uh. And, and eventually he just killed me off <laughs> because I was being so indecisive.
0: You know, I mean, <laughs> and, oh,
1: God, I don't know. You're dead. You know what? <laughs> Something happened and you're dead. Game's <laughs> over.
0: <laughs> uh to be fair, I'm pretty sure that you killed yourself off like, don't don't <laughs> lay that on me. <laughs>
1: possible.
0: don't put that on me.
1: <laughs> so in future episodes, we may um give you guys some insight into the d and d campaign that we are playing with our kids. You can look for that it's been it's been quite fun.
0: It's been an adventure um, yeah
1: so but I think we're rambling now at this point yeah, I think so, so, so. It's any more questions though like um keep keep them coming. And, yeah. uh, you know,
0: yeah, absolutely. we'll tell you all our stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not afraid to share, you know, we live at one. 1- we just assumed it was 23 Cedar Lane, <laughs> Leonardtown, Maryland, 20650.
1: <laughs> Send us mail. Oh boy. Shall we awkwardly wrap this up?
0: I, I, I think we have no choice now, all right, <laughs> all right, anything else? <laughs> nope, okay, so I'm not gonna ask where you can find us because I think that's getting old.
1: It's getting old,
0: so I'll tell you where you where we can be found. We can be found at the duke and duchess podcast dot com also on Twitter at the d n d podcast uh on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, and those are the main ways to get a hold of us. We um, we ask that you give us an iTunes review if you like it, uh, but really the most important thing that we ask is tell people. Oh, and that reminds me. So on our posts that we put up on the website now, I've actually finally, I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to the finer details of the website. I'm going to do some more work on it here in the future, but I finally got some icons at the bottom so that you can link and share the the podcast episodes through the website. So that's another way for you to be able to share if you if you want to do that. But really, if you like it, the best thing you can do for us is tell somebody. So we give you all this beautiful, fine, amazing entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're telling ourselves anyway. The only thing we ask is just tell somebody. So Pimp
1: us out, yo. That's
0: right. So is that it? That's it. All right. Good night, everybody. We we'll love you all.